All right, guys. Well, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 17 through 25. And as you flip there, or you can see on the screen, why don't we stand together? We'll read this section of Scripture together. Um, I'll read it. You can follow along. And as we read it, let's just begin to bow our hearts before the Lord so that we can submit to uh, the authority He's given us um, over our lives. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence, uh, rather, and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Let's pray. Lord, it's a special weekend, and we've got many visiting family and friends uh, we're missing many family and friends because of this holiday, Memorial Day. Lord, we do think and are thankful of the troops, as DJ said, for the last hundreds of years have sacrificed so much. They have just gone and, and done their duty for our nation, a nation that was founded with just a heart of religious freedom at its core leaving family and friends and suffering in the elements and just being without food, without water, having to serve while having fevers and malaria, while having wounds and being bandaged. Think of so many that have lost limbs and life for the United States of America. Lord, we don't wave the flag of the United States, Lord, we, we wave the flag of the kingdom of God. And yet, Lord, we're so thankful that in human history, you've put us in this land and you've given us so many blessings and benefits. We don't want that to end here, Lord. We want to take the blessings to the farthest reaches of the world so they might know you, God. But Lord, we're mindful of those People who've lost loved ones. For those people that have lost parts of their body. For those people that have seen things that you can't unsee. And have just kind of compromised morally in ways that they never thought they'd see. They never thought they'd do. And now they've done it in a duty and a responsibility and they're hurting and they're suicidal 22 veterans a day kill themselves they're hurting lord and they're in our community and we forget them and lord just deep on my heart recently would you use us at calvary chapel to to preach the healing news of Jesus to our veterans. And Lord, the true and better veteran, Jesus Christ, is among us today. We celebrate you on this Lord's Day. We celebrate that you went above and beyond the call of duty to protect and rescue your people. And you laid down your life and limb on that Roman cross, so that anyone who would believe on you would not perish, but have everlasting life. Let that life come to our church today and spread from here to Prineville and to the nations. 
Thank you, Lord, for letting us be emotional about things that prick our hearts. We know that you're an emotional God and you're sensitive to it. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you can tell where my heart's at. <laughs> uh, I've never served in our armed forces, but man, I have such a care for those that have. And I've been listening to many podcasts lately of men who've been wounded and have lost friends. And I feel like they've failed because they've lost friends and, and they've lost legs and, and they've been suicidal and they've turned to alcohol and drugs and, and they just don't know Jesus. And just recently came across a podcast of of uh, and you know an, an ex Navy SEAL and he tells the stories of our troops and it's just an incredible podcast and and uh, and yet so often they leave without hope at the end of those podcasts until last week uh, a, a, an ex or a veteran came across this this podcast who is a believer since his youth and he preached the hope of Jesus to this Navy SEAL and and this incredible ministry of. Um, Military Outreach USA, and so just my heart has been praying for our veterans lately, and just been so mindful, and and so gosh, just let's pray for our community and for those that <clears throat> are in that place. But on a totally separate note, uh, let's get to the text we read today. I'm sure you'll forgive my uh, <clears throat> my outbursts there, but what a text, huh? Boy, this is an exciting one to teach as a pastor. Uh, if you're new here, you might wonder why I chose verse 17 through 25, right? Uh, praying with the family coming down the hill today. It just seems like such a self-serving text uh, as the lead pastor of this church to teach. But if you come to Calvary Chapel very often, you know our method and our pattern of going through the word of God verse by verse, line upon line, led by the spirit where a topic might be needed. As in last week, we went back a chapter and we looked at uh, the ascension of Jesus Christ in that great creed at the end of chapter 3. Um, but now we're back in, back in action, back going through the word, faithfully teaching through the word. Man, when we go through the word expositorily, verse by verse, line upon line, letting the text speak for itself, then that keeps us from avoiding many tough, difficult problem passages, whether it's uh, you know women in ministry and the dress and attire of women and qualifications for pastors and divorce and homosexuality and you know this that and the other and we just go we we dive into it it's the word of god it's profitable for us it gives us uh, direction for all things concerning life and godliness and so here we are in verse 17 because two weeks ago we were at verse 16 all right so uh, now we go on through and we speak on honor and and pay towards pastors and elders and um, whenever there's money mentioned, oftentimes when you come to a church, there's some sort of money crisis or there's some sort of money need. And, and, we, sh and, and, and we tend to shy away from preaching on money, but we ought never do that uh, because Jesus says that money is the barometer of our heart. And so as pastors who make disciples who make disciples, we want to address heart issues within our church. And it's wonderful to be able to do that as we go through the word and we want to make sure that our hearts are healthy, that our wallets are healthy, and that our worship is healthy. And so Paul is going to go on this discourse on leadership, specifically in the matters of maintaining the church's leadership. Everything from pay to the discipline to the selection of leaders. And so as we look at verse 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. What a full verse, you guys. You got a pen. Be ready to just kind of pull this uh, verse apart like a good piece of string cheese. Okay? Because there's a lot in it as you just pull it apart, really phrase by phrase. First of all, you've got elders. Okay? Let the elders. It, in the Greek, it's presbyteros. And it speaks of spiritually mature men. Not necessarily age, although having maturity and age is very useful there. But especially uh, spiritually uh, mature 
men. It's, it's this word elders. It's the English word most used to describe the leaders and the rulers of the church. Um, and as you read through the New Testament, when you read of elders, it's almost exclusively in the plural form, having multiple elders within a church, not just one guy, one lone wolf out there doing whatever he wants uh, without any help, without any support, without any accountability, um, but there's multiple elders. That's a healthy church has, um, has many, not just one, elders, and they exercise authority by carrying out specific responsibilities within the church in that they rule well. Now, I encourage you, as we prayed over this text today, as we read it, wanting to submit ourselves to the Word of God, don't let yourself get offended by this word rule. It's a biblical word. And so don't let whatever experience you've had in the past or whatever fear you might have for the future cause you to disregard the biblical statements concerning spiritual leadership over your life and your family's life. There are to be multiple elders within a church who are ruling over that local body. The word rule means to lead that church, to manage that church, to be active in helping that church. Uh, And they're to do it well. They're to do it in a correct manner, a good manner, and an accurate manner. And so a biblical eldership is not an eldership with dictatorship over it. That would not be ruling well. That would be ruling poorly. When you read the New Testament, you see that the leaders of the church are to be servant leaders. They're to follow the example of the chief leader, Jesus Christ, who laid his life down for the flock. And that's to be the elders of this church and any New Testament church. They rule, but they rule well. They rule not by lording over the flock, but by coming under the flock and supporting and encouraging and leading the flock through servant Jesus-style leadership. Perhaps you're an NIV folk today, and uh, you brought that Bible with you. You might notice it says, those elders who direct the affairs of the church well. So part of the responsibility of the elders is while they're leading the church and they're active in helping the church, they're directing the affairs of the church well. Now, contrary to popular opinion, the church is not a democracy. We don't vote on everything as a church on every little decision. We, we, you know, we reach out and we feel out. We get the vibe of the church. We pray over just some of the thoughts of some of the godly members of the church. But we don't take a vote. We don't see that to be a biblical thing. It's not a democracy, and yet it's not a dictatorship either. You'll never find verses that teach either one of those things. The church is a theocracy. God has appointed the church to be led by godly men. And those godly men are not called to be representatives of different cliques within the church. And if we can kind of get this elder on our side and get him to go to the elders and represent our position as, they're, as we're kind of in conflict with maybe this other clique in the church and we've got our, you know, they're not, we're not senators, okay? Um, we're not state representatives, okay? We uh, don't represent you to the Lord. We represent the Lord to you. Elders are not responsible to the congregation, but they're responsible for the congregation. And so just let's look at a few verses that speak of this leadership role of elders over the local congregation. Look in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. It says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor uh, among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Okay, so within a church, you all need to recognize who is over you. Who are the leaders that are over you in this church? Don't be afraid of that. It's good to know who the leadership is. We need to recognize them. And so you know that, that, uh, that I'm Rory. Hi, if you haven't, if I haven't met you. Um, and, uh, and I'm one of the elders of the church. Uh, we have uh, Blaine. Uh, Blaine. What's your name again, brother? Um, you've only been on. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks. What was it? One more time. Okay. Aaron. All right. 
Uh, Aaron is also one of the elders uh, here of the church. Uh, we have Blaine, who's gone this weekend, who's an elder in the church. Next week's going to be a special Sunday. We're going to be sending out one of our elders, Jeremy. And so we'll be down to three uh, elders at that point. And, uh, and then well, but we also have some exciting things, and we're kind of working through just training and raising up other elders. A couple weeks ago, you may remember, just men stood up here saying, I feel God's calling me and moving me towards being an elder. And one of those men was already standing up here uh, leading worship, and that's Johnny. And for a long time, we've had our eyes on Johnny Olkers to be an elder in the church. We've been having conversations with him, been through process with him. I've known him for many, many years. And so uh, beginning this week, Johnny's going to be joining us at the elders table. And he's just going to be um, just moving into that role here at our church. So we want to give you a little bit of time over the next month or so to get to know Johnny. If you have any concerns about Johnny, we want you to bring him to us. But we've been examining Johnny Olkers uh, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And also just what we've found valuable in his teachability, his availability, and his faithfulness as a man of God over this church uh, to be uh, moving towards that role in our congregation. So uh, there's other men as well that we're working towards that. Just Johnny's kind of the, the most recent guy that we've got um, bringing him up. As we're sending one out, we've got a guy just ready to help join in that shepherding, ruling role in our church. And so uh, with that being said, recognize those guys. Know those guys who labor among you. Notice the language that they're over you. No one rules over it's just the language of the scripture that part of leadership is being over. He, they're over you. And they have times where they admonish you and urge you and correct you. And what is your heart to be to them? You are to, and this goes into our next phrase in the text that you just read. That we're pulling apart like string cheese, remember? Um, you're to honor them, right? Let them, they're worthy of honor. And here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says you're to esteem them very highly. Is that a phrase that describes your heart towards your elders and pastors here at this church? Esteeming them very highly in love for their work's sake? Let's move on. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who rule over you. How, how often do you remember the elders and the deacons? By the way, I should mention deacons as well. Speaking of elders here, but um, Adam is our deacon. But we also have men that are standing up and saying, I feel called to be a deacon. We're going to be pouring into you men as well. But, but, uh, man, but deacon is an office in the church that also has oversight over many practical matters. And so remember those guys. Pray for them. Uh, here we have those who have spoken the word of God to you. And so there, you know, we're going to get into there's some distinction of elders and there's elders who are the ones that most often speak the word of God to you. So a self-serving passage is I'm primarily the teaching pastor here at the church. But please remember me. Be praying for me throughout the week. As you know, Wednesdays, Sundays are coming up. You know what it entails. You know the preaching of the word and the preaching of the gospel goes forth. You know that hard passage is coming up that any pastor might have the temptation to side skirt it or compromise a little or water it down and not preach it in authority and in power in the, in the context that it was given to us. And, and pray for me. Pray for the teachers of this church. Uh, it says, in whose faith follow. So there's leadership, following after them. Consider the outcome of their conduct. Now go down to verse 17 of Hebrews 13. Obey those who rule over you. Oh, I don't like the language of uh, any sort of leadership in my life. And I'm really my own man and I'm my own leader and I'm not under anybody. Nobody's the boss of me and blah, blah, blah. Gosh, let's be New Testament Christians. Amen. There's leadership. That's a good thing. We all need leadership. Systems break down without leadership. Where there's no leadership, people perish. It's good to have leadership. It's good to walk in obedience. There's people who rule over you. Be submissive to those men. Why? Why would I? Why would I? Because they watch out for your souls. Do you like your soul? Do you want your soul to go somewhere that's probably a good place, not a bad place? I mean, I'll let you do the math. But God has given elders, shepherds, pastors, overseers, to a local church, we watch out for your souls, your eternity. And then it says, we must give an account for that. We're going to stand before the Lord for you. And I might just put a mention here. 
One of the reasons that we value church membership here at Calvary Chapel is because as leaders, we need to know who we're leading. Okay? And you might think that that would be a really simple thing. Well, I'm here, aren't I? Well, you know what? A lot of times you're not here. And a lot of times word comes that, hey, you were over at the Ascent, or hey, you were over at First Baptist, or hey, you know, and like, man, are they on a long vacation? Have they started going over there? Nobody knows. Nobody communicates. We don't know. We don't know who we lead. But also, you don't know who you're recognizing as your leaders. We watch out for your souls, but we don't know if we watch, do we, I don't know, do we watch out for their souls? I don't know. No big deal, though, right? It's only their souls. All right? You go to any farmer, rancher, or kid with a 4-H lamb around here, and they know what part, what, what, I was going to say livestock, but okay, let's just call it what it is, right? You're all livestock. No, um, it's good to be alive, though. Right? They know the little lamby is theirs. It's got the ear tag, you know, it's got the like lipstick around his lips and the braided hair. They have done their work on their 4-H project, right? They know it's theirs. And if an elder is watching out for your soul, they need to know whose souls they're watching out for. There needs to be clarity. Help us help you. But also, help us help us. Because we will stand before the Lord and give an account for how we've tended you. We believe membership is a biblical thing. There are many implications that come from Scripture. And i got to say, as we've gone through membership over the last many years, we've heard so many times, well, Calvary chapels have never done membership before. I had to crack up because the other day, as we're sending Jeremy out, I looked at a little book on my shelf in my Calvary Chapel book section, pulled it off the shelf, starting a Calvary Chapel affiliate, 1995 by Larry Taylor. Oh, yeah, let's just look through this. Let's just look through this thing. Hey, feel free to borrow our Constitution. Oh, let's look at their Constitution. Is it different from ours? Full-blown paragraphs on membership and how Calvary Chapels have done membership. Okay, so I'm just telling you, those churches that teach the word see the value in saying, guys, come, let us know who you are. We want to help you. We want to be there. We want to support you. We don't want to rule over you. We don't want to control you. We want to be biblical. We want to serve you. We want to know who we should lay our lives down for before the Lord. And so help us help you. And please help us help us because we're going to be standing before the Lord. Okay. And we want it to be clear who our sheep are. And then it goes on to say in that Hebrews 13, 17 passage, let us do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So if you're that guy in the church and you know who you are, and you are a thorn in the elder's flesh, I have nobody in mind, by the way, seriously, just know like, hey, you might want to go easy on us because we watch out for your souls, and we want that to end well. Okay? Everybody get it? A little bit of facetiousness maybe in there, but I'm just making it light, you know? <laughs> Talking about the issues and keeping it funky. Are we all cool with that? Okay. All right. These elders, these pastors, there's all kinds of accountability as they exercise their God-given responsibility. And primarily, that is that one day, each one of us will stand before the Lord and give account. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So you've got a, an elder exhorting other elders. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by, let me pause real quick. So elders, shepherd, okay? There's, there's these words that are used interchangeably. Pastor, which means shepherd. Elder, bishop, or overseer. You know, those different uh, words are used interchangeably. So you'll hear them today. And it speaks of their role, that they shepherd, they oversee. And how are they to do that? Not by compulsion. Oh, I have to but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. 
We're not about the money as we're serving, as we're tending, as we're shepherding, as we're caring for the flock. We're doing it eagerly. In verse 3, and this says how we're to do it, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Our leadership leads by example. Follow me as I follow Christ. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so part of this accountability and standing before the Lord is one day as shepherds, our chief shepherd will appear and we will receive a crown of glory. It's just another form of judgment. It's not a, a bad type of judgment. It's a reward ceremonies type of judgment. And then as you look in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, you have Paul calling for the elders of Ephesus or the Miletus as he's in Miletus. And he tells these elders, uh, and perhaps, you know, perhaps these are various home groups in the area, um, but still we have just this multiple elders in Ephesus. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. So it's that language of shepherding, taking heed to the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So uh, the Holy Spirit has had this work in anointing pastors for that pastoral ministry. What do we do? We oversee and we shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so here we have these elders, these elders who are about a task. They labor, they work, they shepherd, they tend, they oversee, and they have such demanding duties. It doesn't or shouldn't allow them time to work other jobs. And as the New Testament commentator Philip Towner says, in modern times, Paul has in mind the pastoral staff whose members in obedience to God's call have devoted their lives to the service of the church. And so just as a shepherd or a rancher or a farmer is just consumed with the daily tasks of that pastoral work, so does the pastor have so much work on his plate, he doesn't have time to work down at the mill or to tend the fields or to be all about those different labors. He needs to be able to give himself to the oversight of the church, and especially uh, the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And so moving forward with this in verse, uh, let me give you a little outline of this section. Verses 17, 18, we see the compensation of the elders. In 19 through 21, we see accusation against the elders and what to do with that. And in verses 22 through 25, the ordination of the elders and what that should look like. Now, these Elders who rule well, it says, first of all, with compensation, they're to be counted worthy of double honor. They're to be regarded and considered worthy of a twofold value of price and pay. There's twofold honor, and that's shown in two ways. First of all, through respect. Find out what it means to me, right? R-E-S-P-C-T, a little bit of respect. Can I get some around here? I have plenty. I'm just teasing, right? Uh, And secondly, remuneration. Okay, so respect and remuneration. This is the ancient interpretation. Even St. Chrysostom said that this verse calls for reverence and support. Now, I keep reading in all my reading about this, this word remuneration. Anybody know what that, is that a word in common usage? Here? No, I had to look it up. Okay. Remuneration speaks of money paid for a work or a service. Remuneration. Use it in a sentence. I just did. Donald Guthrie says, this is special advice for a church about remuneration. But notice there's an adjective here, double honor. Double, double. If you've ever eaten it in and out, that's like what you got to order when you're there. I'll have a double double toil and trouble. You'll have some toil and trouble later. <laughs> Toilet and trouble. Okay, well, come back, Holy Spirit. Thank you. This word double is. <laughs> Stick to your notes. It's descriptive of the honor. And it would appear, as Guthrie says, to have the sense of ample or generous provision. For this elder, and of course, that would depend on his efficiency, okay? 
So he's honored for the role, or they are honored for the role they fulfill. Then on account of the excellency with which they rule, they're honored again. Okay? Uh, and so this is very convicting to me as I study and as, as I listen to just men that I honor teach me about this. I, I have to ask, am I directing the affairs of the church well or am I just directing the affairs of the church? So it's just convicting to me, no doubt, other elders as well as they study this text. But they're to be worthy of double honor, those who rule well. Look at verse uh, 27 of Romans 15. Towards the end it says, If the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So speaking of uh, the people down in Jerusalem and how they're uh, beginning to suffer through the famine that's going on and the gospel went forth from Jerusalem to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles are benefiting and they've got um, resources. And if, hey, if we've received spiritual things from Jerusalem, we should be able to give back material things to them. It's a biblical principle to minister to your ministers in material things. Galatians 6, 6 says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So again, this seems so self-serving. The Lord's been so good to me. Um, you know, we are provided, our home is provided for, um, you know, man, resources, wonderful things. And so as I teach this today, there's no bitterness, animosity, maybe hoping that maybe that one person will just get it, you know, anything like that. Um, we're just bringing the word of God before us and we just pray, Lord, just grow and shift. Um, and as people teach the word of God, they, they need to be shared with in all these good things. Uh, Philippians 2.29 says, receive him in the Lord with all gladness. So speaking of a, a minister coming and visiting and hold such men in esteem. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 16, 16, it says, Submit to the ministers and everyone who works and labors with us. So there's laboring, they're laboring well, and in return there ought to be respect and remuneration. But we also see that Paul goes on in verse 17 and he gets even a little more specific. You know, Right now, we're buying the string cheese packets from Costco, you know, and the kids, like, they either love them or they hate them, you know. They've had way too much or they haven't had enough. And I've noticed that when you just go chowing down on a stick of string cheese, it's disgusting, you know. But when you just, just that little piece of string, you know, oh, man, that is so much better that way. Oh, yeah. Ooh, it lasts an hour and a half on one stick of cheese, you know. Uh, it's the same way with this scripture because as we pull it out again, we get a little more insight that there's a group within the group who labor in the word and doctrine. In the oversight, there's especially those who labor in the word and of doctrine. Above all, those who toil and tire and even lose heart in laboring for the message, speaking forth the gospel, teaching and preaching and giving forth the instruction of the word. As Guthrie says, there are some overseers whose work is preaching and teaching, which may point to a particular class within the presbyterate. And so those, especially those who labor in the word of God and teaching doctrine are worthy of double honor as they toil, as they work hard. George Knight says with this verb, he is self-consciously designating the work of these elders as a vigorous and laborious work. Honor properly goes to those who labor hard in leading the church ruling well and preaching and teaching. And as we taught back in chapter 3, let nobody have any doubt, being an elder is work. I like what Alistair Begg says. Anybody who engages in the work of an elder but doesn't break a sweat, doesn't break their back, doesn't break their heart, doesn't keep them awake, doesn't lift their spirit, doesn't devastate them, doesn't know what it means to be an elder. So as you're thinking about being an elder, you might just want to consider that. It is labor and it breaks you. So much joy in it, so many wonderful things, but so many things that, that can just take you and just break you. 
and crush you in the labor. The labor is vigorous. The labor is laborious. And at the end of the day, there's an examination before the chief shepherd. You know, many of you, you went to school, you took your exams, you got a job, and you went and did the task. The exams are over. But for the pastor, for the elder, you do the work and the examination comes at the end. So as we work hard, we try to avoid slothfulness. It's been said, sloth is anathema in being an elder, or it's a curse. It's the bane of the church and the bane of the modern pulpit. And so we work hard as elders, especially those who labor in the word of God and teaching. There is a labor in getting ready to study, to teach, and to preach. Lately, I just feel like the Lord just takes me deeper and deeper in these, these practices and disciplines. You know, by the time I'm done with my sermon, I'm thinking ahead of the next text during the week. And uh, I've started memorizing the books that I'm teaching. And that's something the Lord just moved me to this year. And so I spend time every day, you know, about five verses a day, just meditating on that verse, memorizing that five sets of verses and moving on and moving on. And so I'm just, I'm chewing the cud, you know, I'm chewing on that scripture. And then I begin to, uh, as uh, Alistair Begg taught me, then I begin to go to the text and I write myself clear. I just write everything that comes to my mind, every scripture reference, everything that comes to my mind, every corny joke, you know, even, or maybe a hymn or, a, you know, anything. I just write myself clear. And then after that, I read myself full. And I read and I read and I read and I listen and I listen and I study and I do my book work. And then I pray myself keen. And so I write myself clear, I read myself full, and in the midst of it all, I'm praying myself keen. Lord, what does this text mean? What am I missing? Lord, help me to properly interpret this. Help me to be brave and courageous in the midst of this day that we live in. Pray for the flock. I pray for the people who are coming and hearing and those who aren't going to come in here and those who should come in here and those that this is specifically, oh, we know this is a word for them. And just, man, praise the Lord that at the end of the day, he, you know, it's been said that, that uh, a sermon is like an iceberg. You know, and what you hear today is that little point that sticks up that you saw. And then what you, you know, there's so much underneath the water that, uh, that, that you know, just, we just don't have time. We have time today. Don't worry. We have time today. We have 45 minutes. Check. Look at the clock. The clock doesn't lie. We got 45 more minutes. Oh, Jason, you got to start the timer. It's not my fault. <laughs> we'll be out of here before noon, everybody. <laughs> But something that I've learned since I was a youth, since I was in high school, my mentors, as I was involved in ministry in high school, my mentors, as I would get away from school, I would get to go on school release, you know, school release program. What do you want to do when you grow up? You can go work with a vet. You can go work with a farmer. You get time and you get credit for doing this. I went down to the church all through high school. I went down to the church and I sat there. I talked to my pastor. I learned about ministry. He had me do book reports. I polished the chairs. I cleaned the toilets. I swept the parking lot since my youth. And those men that poured into me taught me about the importance as a pastor to give myself to the studying of the word of God and to prayer. Whatever's going on in the week, I cannot compromise on the labor that I put into Sunday's sermon or Wednesday's sermon. And to know the word. As Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. Be ready in season and out of season. While you're doing it, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So as I'm preaching the word, and it's, it, you know, we know that all elders need to have the qualification that they're able to teach, but not all elders are gifted to teach necessarily in public, from behind a pulpit, but they need to be able to make disciples and teach disciples the word of God. And as we oversee the church, they help uh, inform the decisions through the word of God. They're spiritually mature men who know the word of God. But there are some who are preaching the word in season and out of season. They're ready because they've put the time in. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Another theme verse from my life as a teaching pastor is diligently working in the word so I can stand before the Lord and say, this is, this is integrity. 
you know, that I can come and preach the word and just know that this is, this is right before you. Uh, but then it also says that they rightly divide the word of truth. And the language speaks of plowing straight lines in a field. And, you know, a lot of farmers here, they know that language. They're like, man, there is nothing worse than wavy windrows. <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse than wavy plow. You know, it's like you drive by and you see the guy out there and it's like he is not paying attention. He is texting on his phone, you know, as he's plowing. You know, he just ran over a mainline riser in the field and it's squirting up water like, you know, the geyser. You know, and they not plowing straight lines. We want to plow straight lines in the word of God. I like what Paul says to those Ephesians elders there at the Miletus Pastors Conference. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I want that to be my theme as well. I'm innocent of blood because I taught the word of God. I didn't shy away from problem passages or hard texts. Of course, Calvary Chapels, man, we love to teach Genesis through Revelation, verse by verse, line upon line. Chuck Smith, man, that dude died after teaching straight through the Bible like seven times by the end of his life. My pastor, you know, he's been in Corvallis for such a long time, and he's taught through the word one time in his 20 years. And, you know, we just, we go so slow, but I'll tell you, we, we may never, you know, spend the time in Malachi. We may, but we may not. But here's the deal. We're going to cover Malachi. We're going to cover the whole of the word of God. And so we rightly divide the word. We don't shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And so how does an elder rule the church? Not based upon their personality. Okay? And that's something that this culture needs to remember. Let's be honest. I love being a comedian. I love cracking the jokes that's a fun thing, you know, or, or man, just, I can be emotional or something like that. Those are, that's just, you know, the Lord made me a certain way and that's wonderful, but don't let that put blinders on you and cloud your vision of what's coming out of my mouth. All right. At the end of the day, I don't want to have my hands shaken outside the door and say, that was so funny or you made me cry or anything like that. I want you to say, well done for preaching the word of God and for proclaiming the gospel of truth with power. Praise God. Personality doesn't matter. All right? Integrity matters. And that's what we value at the church. We don't rule by personality, but by the shepherd's crook of the word of God. Everything that's an issue for us, all matters of teaching for us, are established and governed by the Bible. That's why elders are men of spiritual maturity. They know the word of God. We don't have someone come upon our elder staff because they're really good businessmen. Now, they may be really good businessmen who also are mature in the word of God, but we don't bring them on just because they're good businessmen because when the time comes to make decisions, we don't want to make decisions based upon business practices, but rather based upon the word of God. Okay? And so the shepherd rules with the crook, and the crook is the book, all right? It's the shepherd's staff. It helps us lead the church of God. And so, all that being said, we're still in verse 17, aren't we? We may not make it to verse 25 today. I hope that's okay with you guys. But if you want to, quick poll. I saw a yawn. I saw, oh, someone's putting someone's hand down. Don't do that. That's not nice. Verse 18, so remember that whole worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word of God in doctrine. Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So here we have Moses and Jesus, the two us's, Moses and Jesus. It's beautiful to find Paul introducing both the Old Testament and the New Testament quotations with the scripture says. Just as you know, as you're studying about the Bible, the New Testament is also scripture. And the critics would say it's not, uh, and the Jews would say it's not, but it's, it's declared to be that. Moses and Jesus are both scripture, and Moses would say you shall not muzzle an ox. 
while it treads out the grain. That means to silence an ox or to make it silent while it threshes out the, uh, the language would speak in its metaphor of silencing something as it's trying to work. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And so what Paul is saying to us is that it's impossible to separate honor from remuneration. It's impossible to separate honor from paying someone as they've been laboring for you. Now, with the oxen illustration, the pagans were known to muzzle their ox so that as they were crushing the grain, they wouldn't lean over and take a nibble as they're going along. That was a pagan practice. But with the law of Moses, the Lord says, let them eat while they're working. It puts more fuel so that they can do more work. And then the pagans would come into the nation of Israel and they would see that the oxen were not muzzled. And it would be a testimony of the graciousness of the Lord that Israel served. And that would go on to, to practices with people as Paul uses it for people here. That the workman is worthy of the wages. And then Jesus is quoted there from Luke chapter 10. A workman is worthy of their wages. It's proper to pay the worker. They're deserving of reward. Then if you will with me in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5. Let's see what Paul has to say on this subject. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do all the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God are concerned about? God are concerned about? Pardon that really bad English. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sake? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partakers of this hope. If we've sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we've not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. A worker is worthy of his wages. The oxen that's grinding the wheat has a right to eat of the wheat. In 2 Timothy, it says the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Some of the versions are just that the worker deserves to be paid. We've spoken of that those who are taught the word should share in all good things with those who preach the word. And I just have to commend our body. You know, when I was a young minister coming up through the school of ministry, Uh, You know, I felt that I would be called to a small rural area to minister the word of God. And so I went to school, to a trade school. I went to welding school uh, to to have a tent-making ministry, as Paul did, or a tent-making vocation. So I went to welding school. I burned a lot of rod. I burned myself a lot of times. It was between welding school or farrier school. I thought my back couldn't handle it. Then a cute little Oregon State cheerleader said, I'm going to Corvallis. And I was like, me too, to welding school. So I went to welding school. That was, Lin- that was Lindsay, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> and you know, crazy thing is I did one term of welding school, and my beads show it. One term of welding school, and I was called on staff at Calvary Chapel Corvallis. And the Lord has graciously provided for my family ever since. For the last about 18 years, the Lord has provided for my family uh, in this way. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord that here, even though we've gone through lean times and as we have financial board meetings, I've just said, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to go work. And our financial board has said, you know what, that is the last thing to go. We want to just protect you and your time so that you can so that you can do what we're talking about today praise the lord i mean that's i'm willing i'm willing to go work i'm willing to go and get dirty and get greasy and yeah that, that, if that's what the lord has and just the lord has provided through you thank you 
for your generosity. And you know what? Even as we talk about the ministering and all good things with those who teach, man, I'll just be honest with you. There's so many things that just in my heart, I'm like, man, I would love to have a horse and just to be able to just to, to, you know, rope and ride and minister in this community and, and those things and t- teach my kids, you know. And you guys have been gracious with the horses and the bringing me out. You know, my accountant wife says, you don't have no time for no 5, 10, 15 acres and animals. And you just used to shoe those things and then medicate those things. And we don't have time. We've got to minister to the people. And the Lord has used you guys. And my little boy has a little KX80 Kawasaki dirt bike. And, man, I'd love to have something to ride with him and to be able to. But, you know, the ministry, we just can't afford that. And just you guys and your generosity, hey, take ours. Take our quad. Take our bike. That's so generous. Praise the Lord. You're sharing all good things. You know, again, affording of a trailer or a camp trailer and to be able to do those things. And people in our body have been like, I mean, literally, I was accosted last Memorial Day weekend by a guy that said, you need to take my camp trailer out today. Well, I don't really know if it's going to work, and Lindsay's sick, and we got the babies, and I don't care. I'm going to go get it ready. You come get it. And that's been the heart of many of the people in our body, and I thank you. Seriously, that is wonderful. At the same time, you look at churches, the average church our size, look at the staff that they have and that they're able to pay for. We have one full-time employee at this church and a part-time bookkeeper. And we've got a huge fear of ministry that we endeavor to try to minister to, to advance the gospel to the farthest parts of the world. And we're only to barely cover one full-time employee here. And so it's interesting, what is that? What does that? And I believe it's our discipleship and our understanding of a New Testament principle of gracious giving as we examine the gracious one who gave us his indescribable gift of his son who died on the cross for us so that we may not perish, but have eternal life in paradise, we then ought to respond by saying, everything I have is yours. I don't consider anything to be my own. It is my own, but I don't consider it to be my own. And I freely share for the work of the kingdom of God. I understand New Testament principles such as 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that on the first day of the week, let everyone come and bring something to commit as he prospers. And then I will lay it at the apostles' feet, and then the apostles will distribute those things towards the work of the ministry as we see those needs come up. I understand the New Testament principle of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, that those who, uh, the Macedonians, they had given so generously, graciously, and it says these three things, they gave according to their ability. So they sat down and they looked at their budget and they looked at their expenses and they looked at what they had. And we give something, not a tithe. That's new t- not New Testament, guys. A tithe is not spirit-led giving. Now, it might end up being a tithe, but a tithe is not the ceiling that we try to cap ourselves out at. It's the floor that we start at in our discipleship. And so we pray about it. What is our ability? And a tithe is a great place. That might be it. That's ours as a family. Is our starting point every month. Tithe from our first fruits. And then we're led by the Spirit on anything else that comes across our paths. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 says that the Macedonians gave according to their ability. So do the budget, do the work, and see what your ability is. Secondly, the Macedonians gave beyond their ability. So what ways can I be sacrificial in my giving? What ways can I feel the squeeze this month so that this poor person doesn't have to feel the pinch this month? And then thirdly, the Macedonians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, were freely willing. They gave, and this was commendable by Paul the Apostle, they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And I believe that as we continue to do this, we'll have no problem being able to support a meeting place for us to raise up disciples on a weekly and daily basis, whether it's this building or another building, as we're generous and purposeful and spirit-led in our giving of our time, our money, and our resources, we'll be able to provide for a staff for our church that it goes through the age groups and it helps minister to the different peoples, the youth pastors, the worship teams, uh, the elders teams. And we'll be able to provide ministry to our church and to our community and to the nations. And so I would encourage you to be very prayerful and to grow in the discipleship of giving, because as Jesus says, where your money is, there your heart is also. 
well, that's about all we have for today. Amen. Come on up, every, not everybody. Worship team, come on up. Oh, don't worry, I've got more notes. We're on page 7 of 17. Just to prove I've done my work this week. But I won't do that to you. It's Memorial Day weekend. we got hot dogs to eat. Let's get to it. <laughs> that man loves a hot dog. And so as we look at the rulers and the leaders that God has placed in our church, recognize them, you guys. Encourage them. Honor them. Obey them. Remunerate them. Pray for them. Why don't we stand together? You know, I just am mindful of this uh, section of the Gospels that Jesus looks up over the multitude and he sees all these people following him. Thousands and thousands of people. And his heart just broke for them. Because it is said that they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know the Lord's heart breaks for you here today if you're a sheep without a shepherd. You read the Old Testament and you read the New, and God was a God who led his people by qualified men and men of character. Spiritually mature men who would tend the flock, feed the flock, protect the flock, correct the flock. And Jesus, when he speaks of such shepherds, he he says, you know what, man, the good shepherd, he's not a hireling. He's not in it for the money. But he lays his life down for the sheep. And Jesus did that. And by his grace, those that are anointed for the ministry here at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, they will lay their lives down for you as well. If you're here today, you don't have a home church, we would invite you to make Calvary Chapel your home church as we endeavor to make disciples who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Come be a follower of Jesus with us at this church. But even before then, if you're a person here today and you have never bowed your heart and your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We'd invite you to do that as well today too. God has made this Jesus both Savior and Lord. Jesus' blood was shed to provide atonement for your sins that everything you've ever done that was wicked or rebellious or raunchy could be washed away by his precious blood and you could be seen before God as having never sinned before. But you must believe in him to have your sins atoned for. You must rest upon him in the work that he's done to be forgiven. And we just pray for you today. We pray that the Lord would open up your heart to believe. That he would grant you repentance that you could turn from your sin today and turn towards the living God. That you could have your sins saved. You're saved from your sins. And that you could have a Lord and a Master. And that Lord and Master will lead you and feed you and tend you by other Masters. Masters who follow His example of servant-style leadership. Come into the household of God today. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And those who call yourselves Christians today, we would urge you to take a step of committing to this local church so that we could do the biblical things that God calls us to do as a local body. There's no greater joy 
than being the bride of Christ. Won't you come and be a part of that? Let's close in song, worshiping the Lord today. go I just uh, want to just bring a little clarity and just help for you Um, you know we don't hammer on membership often we never hammer on it maybe today it seemed a little hammery but that was not my intent but um, you know we we as a church as leadership has just have we studied through and taught the New Testament there are many principles that we see in a local church that really just demand clarity for us to know who our people are, to know who we are. So many different aspects, you know, whether it's church leadership, whether it's church discipline, whether it's church generosity, whether it's our behavior, uh, whether it's our mission to the nations, all of these things that we read in the New Testament, um, they are really surrounded and girded by community a local community that knows who they are, that knows who they are. And so our membership here at this church, man, what it is, it's just we get together on a Saturday 
We have a class. We have delicious dinner, right, Lisa? She, yep, it's going to be happening. And I just volunteer people. It's part of church membership is you get volunteered for stuff. And, um, and we just have a class. We go through the word and we see these principles, okay? We see these implications. And then all we do is we just say, you know, we, we just hand out our statement of faith and, and, and our vision statement and our mission. We want it to be crystal clear for you who we are as a church, why we exist, and what we do and how we plan on doing it by the word of God and by the spirit of God. And we just want to make it clear. And, uh, and you just fill out your testimony and you just share that, yep, this is me filling out my testimony. There's a signature there. My wife didn't fill it out kind of make up a testimony for me. My 15-year-old kid didn't fill it out for me, you know. Um, I, I did this. This is me. This is my story of being born again. And then there's just some check boxes that are like, you know what? I affirm the statement of faith of Orthodox Christianity. I affirm and I agree with our purpose statement as a church, which is written on our wall. I keep pointing at it. We exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And you say, and I agree with our mission as a church. How are we going to do that? We're going to gather regularly. We're going to preach the word of God. We're going to hear from the word of God. We're going to pray and we're going to go. And that's all it is, okay? It's just an agreement with one another. You can get out of it if you want. The Holy Spirit's leading you over to First Baptist or whatever. But just, hey, for this time, here I am, Rory. Pursue me, come after me, encourage me, equip me, pour into my life, pour into my family, tend to me in the hospital when I'm in the hospital. These are wonderful New Testament biblical principles. We just need it clear. Who, who, who do we? Yes. Me. 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 Okay? That's all it is. It's just a helpful tool. Don't need to sign it in blood. You can if you want to. We sacrifice a goat later on after the meal and it all kind of solidifies everything. That's a cloud joke. But we're going to be having a class here soon and I just encourage you to get signed up for it. We're not legalistic about it. It's about grace. It's from grace. It's for grace. And it's in grace. Anyone who's a member here can, can attest to that. I believe that with 100% confidence. And so I would just encourage you. Man, make this church your home. Be part of the team. The Christian life is a battle and we are in trenches and we need to know, is the guy in my trench on my team or not? Is he on my side or not? So I encourage you to be prayerful about that. Again, we don't hammer on it a lot. Occasionally as we come through the word and some implications there, we'll, we'll just kind of help and throw that out there and this is something we do as a church. But you know, for some of you, I think it's time. I think it's time that you commit and are dedicated to this local church and you're a, you're about what Jesus is about making disciples in the world and preaching the gospel. So if you have any questions about that, feel free come and ask me. Love you guys. Happy Memorial Day. Enjoy that hot dog. It's going to be awesome. Don't google what those things are made out of. It's gross, but God bless you guys. Have a great week.